You just want a little bit more of the Patricks in your life. We understand how it is. Aguiloa try to make up for it. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Pat's interference. I, I think Alabama makes it to the college football playoff. I've got what I feel could be the number one playmaker in college football. Baker Mayfield. Dude's a stud. I'm 5'7", 130. Do you think I'm big enough to be either David Robinson or Tim Duncan? Get ready. It's going to be a good year. What's going on, everybody? You are listening to Pat's Interference, Year 4, Episode 2. This is our SEC East preview. We hope you enjoyed Episode 1 of this season. I am Patrick Norwood. That's my co-host, Patrick Brakeman. Patrick, how are you this week, my friend? I'm good. Sitting here recording on a Wednesday night, getting ready for fall camp to start in two days for Alabama. But in the meantime, we figured we could talk about the SEC lease today. Yeah, let's 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 get into the SEC least, as you call them. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, uh, you can do so on Twitter at pi underscore podcast, on Facebook at Pat's Interference. That's P A T apostrophe S Interference, or on our website at patsinterference.com. You can also send us an email if you would like at patsinterference at gmail dot com. Uh, so I've, I've break. I guess you know. For our new listeners, if we have any, this is a college football podcast. Patrick Brimman and I are both Alabama graduates, so we always do an Alabama episode and then a national episode when the season's going on. These preseason episodes are broken down. Alabama, SEC East, SEC West, and then our big national podcast. So if you're looking, uh, you're a Big Ten fan or you're a Pac-12 fan, maybe just wait a couple weeks to listen. Or if you want to just get more knowledge on the SEC, this is a great time for you to start. Uh, so we'll always do a little Alabama check-in. Brick, is there any news, anything you've heard of note across the past couple days? I mean, no. We recorded our last podcast was late last week. It's now Wednesday. Still kind of waiting for uh, fall practice to start. That begins Friday, so players will be getting in about now and Thursday. Um, so that's it. There was a cool article. Not cool, but just an article that I literally got a notification on my cell phone about. Tua Tungavailoa, odds-on favorite to win. I think we all kind of know that. But, but, nothing Alabama, but a, a, a pretty big thing happening today uh, with another powerhouse in the yeah, country, I, man. Uh, before we touch on that, I, I, I read the same article you did. I, I am not buying any Tua or Jalen articles until Coach Saban says something himself. I think it was uh, – that was a case of somebody trying to get some clicks two days before camp. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, now, this other news, uh, which is breaking, I think will very much shift uh, my playoff predictions as well as yours, I would assume. Oh, yeah. Uh, go ahead and tell me what's going on with good old Urban Meyer. Well, you know, before we started coming back and recording, uh, this was just a couple weeks before we came back, but if you haven't heard about the whole Ohio State situation – their wide receivers coach, Zach Smith, um, got in trouble in 2015 for domestic violence against his wife. That kind of came to light like a, not even a month ago, uh, last month in July. He was fired on July 23rd. Two days later at um, Big Ten Media Days, Urban Meyer denies knowing about the 2015 allegation. He actually had something also in 2009, uh, and he still hired the guy. But he denied knowing anything about the one uh, three years ago. And that's where we entered today. Dude's fired. Meyer says, I didn't know anything about it. And um, Brett McMurphy today, having a story that almost directly refutes that. Urban Meyer's yes. 
uh, or no, sorry, Zach Smith, the wide receiver coach, he's now fired, but his wife claiming that a ton of people close to Urban Meyer, including Urban Meyer's wife, other coaches, other coaches' wives, other people at the school, they all knew, backed it up with text messages sent from Urban Meyer's wife and other people to her after it occurred in 2015, and the tea leaves drop and you you have a hard time believing that Urban Meyer knew nothing about it like he claimed. That's the investigation now going on. If I got that about right you, yeah you got it about right i'm, I'm looking for uh brett mcmurphy if, if you if you're not familiar with brett mcmurphy's all over college athletics all the time constantly uh scooping you know doing everything he needs to do to get the story um he's he's one of the few that i really trust i know that we i think both um pretty much follow him and don't take him word for word but usually if he's got a good idea something's going on where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, he's always um, been a pretty fair reporter, in my opinion, despite yeah. his firing from ESPN during their big um, day of reckoning. Layoffs. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah exactly. They're, uh, they're Thanos-style layoffs. Um, but, but Brett McMurphy, again, uh, tweeting out that, um, you know, obviously that through uh, text messages that he had seen um, and sources, outside sources giving him information, he felt that Urban Meyer had known uh, about these allegations for what, the past two years? Since 2015? Yeah, three three years now. Three Um, years now. Um, And then obviously tweeted out later today once the news broke that Urban Meyer had been placed on leave. Uh, it's, It's not, you know, obviously this is I, I want to ask you something, sure. and I promise this has a place in the podcast, and it has a place in college football. If this had happened before the Joe Paterno-Penn State fallout, do you think it would be as big of a deal? Honestly, don't, and don't I don't think it would have been in that time, like, what, 2012, 2011? Yeah, right. Twenty that would have been uh, twenty twelve. Yeah, with so much with 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 that with Baylor with everything and not just in in sports outside of sports with with the push to obviously and rightfully end this kind of culture that has existed as, in, in athletics at a lot of schools. I don't think it would have. Um, yeah, I I don't either. Uh, I think especially the. Um, bylaw now that's you know when i worked in college athletics the rule was always if you know something say something yes um even we- even if it's you're not 100 percent sure it's better to go ahead and say something and if you got to throw somebody under the bus you got to throw somebody under the bus and to be clear we're um, not saying it's not a big deal we're saying it wouldn't have been a big exactly, deal exactly six exactly. years no, ago it's i i'm it still i think it would have been more of a suspension case uh, where Urban Meyer suspended for half the season, and it still well could be that, but very rarely does a coach get placed on administrative leave, and there's not at least some sort of negotiation about his termination or his resignation or something of the like. Um, you you put on the docket, and it's it's a good point to bring up. I think Vegas betting odds are higher for firing than not, um, and so that brings us to the question a team that a lot of people had picked to not only win the Big Ten, but possibly go undefeated and then definitely make the playoff in that case is now in huge jeopardy of that. You'd have to think that, right? It's it's not a transition year for Ohio State talent-wise, but to lose a a coach and have a coach uh, not just 
you know, leave, but but leave with such a large distraction so close to the season. Yeah, it, it does have to kind of shake your faith in what Ohio State could do. I want to say that, you know, Ohio State quickly coming out today, everybody was wondering what they would do in light of today's events. Coming right out, putting them on administrative leave, I think that was the right thing to do. They're going to investigate what he knew, what he didn't know. And in the meantime, they're going to have an acting head coach so they can just kind of get into practice. This is already going to be a distraction no matter what. But um, it's it's got to be terrible, too, if you're in. This is something that obviously in the grand scheme of things, this is not the number one thing that people need to be worried about. But it is something to keep in mind is those players and what they're going through and how they're having to uh, sort of handle this and cope with this. I mean, they're not, you know, it's not a situation where these guys are, you know, 25, 26 years old. They're 18, 19 year old kids. Oh, and, and, and by the time this podcast posts, sort of abuse uh, by the time um, this podcast goes, it's going to, they're going to have practice tomorrow. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, where do you even pick up? Right. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's. It, it, we're not even in a place to speculate as to what will happen, what didn't happen. I don't even want to go. Oh, Urban Meyer, definitely. I don't want to put anything on tape saying anything definitive. I will say that it is hard to read that story. I uh, know that Urban Meyer's wife knew, and all the assistant coaches seem to have known, and think that Urban Meyer absolutely didn't know. So, if it is found out that he definitely knew, here's the thing: had he just said last week at Media Days, or two weeks ago, yes, as an organization, we knew about it. And we were letting due process take its time, and then we decided to fire him. That's one thing. But if he knew, said he didn't know, that's a whole, that's a cover-up. He didn't tell anybody. Um, he claims he didn't know. He lied. That's, that's almost as bad not quite, but almost as bad as the offense of knowing and not doing anything about it. Right, and uh, Zach Smith said when he left, he was going to take everyone at Ohio State down with him. There you go. Um, you so, know, and now it looks like he's doing that. But I, you know, uh, again, this is just the, the weird tale of Urban Meyer. We, you know, I feel like we see it every two or three years. Something like this, not like this, but something pops up, and it's just you're kind of taken aback, and you go, huh. It's well, it's never it's never an on the field it's never just an on the field issue. You'll you think know, about the way he left was Florida. The quarterback controversy uh, that carried over off the field. Just the way he left Florida, you know, uh, the the state that that program was in, and the people that were in that program when he left there. You know, he had his quote unquote health problems that I think most people don't believe anymore. I certainly don't, and. And the people that were still in that program, it set Florida back, what are we, on almost seven, eight years now? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and it's another thing to think about, too, is, and you may have already said this, forgive me if you did, I was trying to find that Zach Smith quote, but I, I think had Urban a couple weeks ago at Big Ten Media Days said, you know, this is something our organization knew about like you said we were trying to figure out the best way to handle it or urban meyer said even just came out and said it yes i knew about this for a while we kind of swept it under the rug that was not morally and ethically correct but that's what we did and we're correcting ourselves now i don't think this is as big of a deal as it is right now 
rather than he just said, oh, well, I think I can get away with this. And in this day and age, lying like lying about something like that is not something you can just get away with. No, and, and, and that it is absolutely incorrect. I mean, that culture does have to be removed. You look at Baylor, and we, we've talked about Baylor a lot. Uh, it, it's not... It's not an okay thing to happen, but for whatever no. reason, when athletes are involved, especially winners like an Urban Meyer, uh, Baylor was winning a lot of games with Art Bryles, and people want to almost forgive it, and that culture that is, thankfully, Ohio State showed today, acting swiftly on it, swiftly changing... I don't know. It's hard. To, it's hard to get too far into without knowing the facts yet. But I, I do want to suppose. Okay, so Urban Meyer's gone. Just you know, say he's gone. Sure. And we we both know that that hurts Ohio State. But what does that? I mean, that makes a huge impact on college football from just a nationwide standpoint. Sure. I you know because then the issue becomes you don't want to go out and try and get a blockbuster coach two weeks before the season starts, right? You have to imagine the weeks, the interim coach goes through the year. I you, you've got to you've got to have an interim who comes in, takes over, takes them a whole year on a year where they really thought they were going to be able to get the job done. And then do you go out and do you get Kiffin? Do you get Scott Frost if he does well in Nebraska? I mean, it, it's do you get PJ Fleck if he winds up doing really well at Minnesota this year? There's a lot of question marks. Or do you get another guy who we haven't even thought of because he hasn't been either a let go or b announced he was seeking better options um it's a real mess i i commend ohio state for handling it the way that they have like you said so swiftly and everything but brick i want to ask you to sort of wrap this up you know obviously football's not the most important thing in the story but this is a football podcast so here we go scale one to five one they don't win the big 10 and suffer three or four losses five being they win the big 10 and make it to the playoffs what is their destiny? Where do you put it uh, if Urban Meyer is has his resignation or is terminated? I would put it. I, I don't. I don't think they would crumble. Um, whoever they have as an interim coach is knows the players. They've got the second most talent in the country, probably. But I, I do lose a lot of faith in them going to the playoff, going to the national championship, because that's a really, really, really good conference and division with with. Um, you know, obviously, Penn State, Michigan State will be on the rise. Uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Wisconsin being the big one um, would be the the instant one that I might prop toward the top there. I don't you know. Never There's... sleep on Iowa, who beat them by what thirty last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got that too. I mean, I mean, you laugh, but seriously, I mean, it seems like every year Iowa or Iowa State is playing the Cinderella upset. You know for one of those Wisconsin's, Michigan's, Michigan State, Ohio State almost every single year. I wish there was more we could say about it at this point. I wish there was more we could we could say. This is one of those things that we're just going to probably keep returning to every uh, week, two weeks, three weeks, as more information comes out, obviously. Yeah. And, and I think this is the situation where we do our SEC West preview next week. We have more information. We can delve into it a little bit, like you said. Um, but... That's the situation for the Buckeyes. Again, we I think Brick, you and I are both on the same page that we commend uh, their organization for doing something about it so quickly. Um, when they found out, I would love to tell you that I was surprised when I saw that Urban Meyer was mixed up in this, but I was not. Nope. Uh, this is you know you got to remember the players that he had on his roster and what they got away with, and um, don't forget 
you know, guys like Aaron Hernandez played for him. Right. Uh, okay, with that in the rear view, let's get into our SEC East uh, previews here. Okay, this is a more meaty preview than we did last year because the SEC East was so down heading into last it, year. But now with, really the, with the emergence of Georgia, uh, South Carolina having a, an uptick, Florida's got a new coach, Tennessee's got a new coach, Missouri has an offense, there's a little bit more to talk about now. There is. And to start this off, one thing that I want to do is to just get it out of the way so we're not, you know, at the end sort of wrapping up doing it. I want to be very upfront so we can really dive into the preview. Give me your top four and how they finish in the SEC East this year. I've, I mean, obviously with Georgia at the top, and from there it gets a little harder. So with Georgia one, I put South Carolina two, Florida three, Missouri four. Those are the four I put. Okay. I I'm I, I agree with you. Obviously, Georgia's at the top. I mean, they're bringing Blankenship back, and he can kick 78-yard field goals. So, you know, at least they're going to get three points on every drive. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I'm going to go – my four right now are Georgia, South Carolina. I'm going to go Missouri, then Florida. And I'll delve into that a little bit later on. And I could really see Missouri even bumping up to two. But it, it's going to be top for them. Ooh, we might be fighting a little SEC later. Schedule. We might fight in a little bit. I, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I've got the button That's ready. Healthy. That's healthy. Okay, so let's let's go to Georgia. Let's look at the Bulldogs, obviously, returning after a immaculate season last year. A fantastic season that obviously ended with second and 26. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, but, no, but that, that, that was their coming season. out party. Sure. So where do they go from here? Well... They lose a lot, obviously. Uh, they lose the two running backs, uh, Michelle and uh, Nick the Big Chub. Uh, I'm going to miss saying that name so much on this podcast. Just just the chubbiest chub. You just know? the biggest, strongest chub is gone. Very strong chub. He was, he was a chub that stood tall uh, in the face of a lot of adversity. He did. And you got you got to love a hard, long-standing chub. Uh, they lost Roquan Smith, Isaiah Wynn. Um, they lost Renzo Carter, so they lost a lot of talent. But with what I think Georgia's building toward, they're building toward a dynasty. And you say that every season about dynasties. They're bringing a lot back. Jake Fromm. Um, uh, lot of, <laughs> you said Blankenship. Uh, they bring back most of their offensive line. They bring back... Um, Swift, the running back, they bring back uh, McCall Hardman and the receivers that kept burning Alabama in the title game. Don't don't forget that receiving core. Um, You know, but I I do think it's interesting until the wheels came off in that fourth quarter for Jake Fromm, he looked like the best quarterback in the SEC. Yeah, there were a lot of times where he looked fantastic. And I think he's going to have a great career. And they recruited. The thing about Georgia, what they just did is they just finished with the number one recruiting. They knocked Alabama off of that top spot. Alabama had been there seven straight years, and Georgia just signed one of the best offense or uh, recruiting classes of all time. So yeah. my question is, we talked about it last year. We weren't quite sure. Now with one more year of knowledge and success, what is Kirby Smart building at Georgia? I, I want to get one more year before I answer this question. I, I, I think you and I are on the same page with this. I'm not going to go as far as saying dynasty. I'm going to say it's a good run. Right now, they are they are set up for a good three or four year run. Um, I don't 
know why I'm hesitant to call it a dynasty. I think it is just because they were good for one year. And is this conversation the same if Baker Mayfield doesn't throw a pick in the fourth quarter? Probably not. Right. You know, if they just made it to the playoffs and yeah, they got a great recruiting class, but they couldn't get it done when they needed to X, Y, Z, that sort of thing, you know, and I, I hate being that guy, but I just, I'm, I'm really hesitant to put people on that pedestal and put teams like Georgia on that pedestal when they've proven their biggest competition is still within their conference. And don't forget who's leading the nation in recruiting as of right now for the upcoming class. It's Alabama, Alabama. by a hair. But, but it's still, and Texas A&M is right behind Georgia. So are you going to sit here and tell me that Texas A&M is also building a dynasty? Well, Texas A&M didn't just, you know, lose the national championship on a Hail Mary. I understand, but if we're just going off of one year's worth of work, then Texas should have been a dynasty in 2005, 6, and 7. Then Florida should still be a dynasty based on how Urban Meyer was recruiting. I would, call, I would call Florida... Dynasty, 14, 15, 16, 17. I would call Florida what they did from 2004 to 2010. They were the best dynasty in college football for six... I'm not saying they're going to be Alabama and do this for a decade. What I'm saying is there's. I could see them going to national championships and playoffs like USC did early 2000s and Florida did for the next five, six years. I think they're set for the next five, six years easily in my mind with Kirby Smart would, being, what, 43? Yeah, oh, yeah. I would I would liken them more to Ohio State in those years. Uh, the Ohio State teams that kept losing to team, you know, to Florida and uh, that sort of Oklahoma feel too, like Sam Bradford, that sort of thing where those, those teams are just kind of always right at the top. And that's what I mean. I think they're on pace for a good run now if they come out this year go undefeated go to the sec championship game lord knows what happens there but if they win that one then yeah i'm I'm willing to agree with you on this and say yeah they're they're gonna be you know some a force to be reckoned with for the next long while but right now you know i think they've got a strong couple of recruiting classes coming in they've already got a couple of good guys you know next man up mentality we know Kirby Smart's a great recruiter, but I just want to get one more year in before I go ahead and nail down, uh, sort of pigeonhole them into that dynasty um, title card. I can, I can, I can respect that. But with with Georgia and them them being in the SEC East, I think a big thing of what Smart is building is what Alabama's done so well at for the most part the last decade, which is I think Georgia was putting themselves in position with the coaching with the players. To not lose the games that you should win. You know, mm. like Alabama very rarely drops the game that shocks the world. They did lose to Ole Miss twice, but they still won a title in one of those years. South Carolina got them in 2010, but people forget about that team because of what's happened since then. Don't forget the other Ole Miss year, Alabama still made the playoff. They still made the playoff. Uh, yeah, they lost to Auburn last year. They do lose a game a season, but they don't just... And when they lose one, they don't stumble too much. I think Kirby Smart learning what he learned from Nick Saban. If Nick Saban retires after this season, it's Georgia. It is Georgia and Clemson, and that's the way college football proceeds. Yes, I agree. I I agree. I think there would still be a couple years where Alabama's a a playoff contender. I'm not saying they would get to the playoffs, uh, because it depends on who gets brought in. If Davos Sweeney gets brought in, why would we not say that Alabama's another, you know, 
Right. That's, that's a whole that's other discussion. More but, momentum, but it's it's all a butterfly effect. But I agree with you. I think if Saban does leave, there is going to be a, a, a sort of change of power, uh, so to speak. Um, you know, so let's get back to this season. Yeah, Look this year. Yeah, let's do that. Let's this year, this, this team. Season. Say that again. Uh, big games for Georgia right now. You've got at South Carolina, at Missouri, which I think are their two biggest games of the season. I'll go ahead and say it. Um, Tennessee at home, who cares? At LSU, not bought in on LSU yet. And Auburn. I would. Uh, Auburn's I, offensive line is going to be an issue, especially for a defense that's lined up as well as Georgia's front seven is. Uh, you know, you look at that at South Carolina game, I think you and I both kind of have that game circled on the calendar. It's, yeah. Um, it's it, week it, two. Georgia is undergoing a, a little bit of a makeover. So to, so to yes. get a team that will be good like South Carolina that I think could win 9-10 games this season, that's, gonna be, that's, that's their stumbling block. And I think that's their only stumbling block until they have to go to Death Valley. If that's a nighttime game, another potential trip up there if LSU has a good defense. And then we'll just have to wait and see what Auburn's doing in October honestly but that south carolina game that will tell us a lot about both teams but specifically about georgia if they go out and they just swamp south carolina georgia's going undefeated man until they get to atlanta it's the way it goes look i like your confidence but i also like drew lock a lot i think i think we're about to get in a in a fight in a little bit all right, I'm so okay with it. <laughs> we got we got Georgia one um, up next on our docket. South Carolina, you agreed with that too. Has yes. there been a more quiet team that's improved as much as South Carolina has the last two years? Well, here's the thing: their last six games last season, they didn't score more than 17 points. That tells you their defense is good. Sure, 100. percent But it's the days of change in college football. You don't win games by just scoring 17 points. Who are you? And what have you done with Norwood? That worked in 2007. That worked in 2005. It doesn't work anymore. Right? No, I agree with you. I, I, I hate it. I'm not saying that I like the way that that's how college football is going now. I'm just saying that's the way it is. That is kind uh, of the so- way that Will Muschamp stumbled into 10 wins at Florida. I will say that. Y- yes. Yes. So, quietly 9-4 and four last year, yes, but I think it was deservedly quiet. Um, you know, they, they didn't really do anything to jump off the page. Um, they escaped narrowly with a win against a mediocre NC State team week one. Um, you know, I but you look at this year, you look at that receiving core for South Carolina, I feel like has been some of the best receivers in the nation for the past five or six years slept on baby completely debo samuel's back he got hurt in week three yes and he's quick he is quick i think he's the next really good wide receiver out of the sec yeah i would Um, agree with that uh, bentley's a great quarterback as well um when he is on he's on um now when it's off he's uh, it, it, it can get about as bad as it can possibly get for anybody um, you know, obviously, Will Muschamp's a, a, a defensive fiend. You know, loves defense. You can never really count a Will Muschamp defense out. Um, so I think week one, if you had to pick 
a team to go with that defense and say, okay, these are my guys, and it's not a Georgia or Alabama, I'd love to pick South Carolina. Who do they play week one? Do you know? Week one, they play Coastal Carolina. Oh, okay. I thought they played someone bigger in week one. Um, no, no. Uh, and then I think that that week two game is Georgia, obviously, um, I, and I, at I, home. On, I'm going to be honest. I see South Carolina as being the one team in my mind that I think can just, without something really, and I say this, without something really fluky happening, the one team that can line up with the day the date falls and beat Georgia just mm-hmm. by playing football and shutting down you know that Georgia offense with that must-champ defense and Debo. That's the team I think that can line up with Georgia next year on the week that they're playing because the time by the time Georgia gets to LSU and Auburn, I think they'll be enough on a roll that they're just going to be t- too tough to stop. But week For two sure. next I, year, I think you could see if you see a lot of miscues from Georgia in that South Carolina game, then that's a situation where South Carolina it's Georgia's to lose. So I don't think South Carolina can go out and just beat Georgia when Georgia's yeah, playing good their best point. game. I would agree with that. Um, you know, I think there's got to be miscues. I think Fromm's got to make a couple overthrows. He's got to look like he did during the fourth quarter and overtime period of the national championship for South Carolina to come out with a win. So what kind of uh, – I, I, I've got South Carolina going 9-3 and three in the regular season. I have them losing to Georgia, losing to Clemson at the end of the season. And then there are a couple more games on there where it was like, I can't give them all of those. There was, you know, like I said, LSU uh, – Wait, they don't play LSU. Sorry, not LSU. Um, uh, Florida, Missouri, Texas A&M. I was like, I can't give them every single game like that. So I the, have the them losing to A&M. The only game that I could see them losing other than the three that you mentioned is Missouri. You're very high on Missouri. I'm, I am high on one aspect of Missouri. Ooh. South Carolina is my solid two. Okay. Now, All right. if they come out and Will Muschamp comes out and becomes Will Muschamp, I could see Missouri sneaking up to that two spot. I don't have a solid two. I think South Carolina, Florida, Missouri can all jockey in my head from now to kick off for two. But I, I have them right there with you for now. The next team yeah. that I've got, that this is where we might disagree here, but I put Florida at three. Um, we'll start off by talking. They made the big hire. Um, this offseason with Dan Mullen. They got Dan Mullen back. He was obviously the offensive coordinator under Urban Meyer back when they won two national titles. He was there with Tebow, Percy Harvin, the whole thing. Jim McElwain didn't work for a number of reasons and was one of the worst head coaches you could imagine at the University of Florida. But what are your thoughts on Dan Mullen? I like Dan Mullen at Florida. He, he knows the area well. He knows the recruiting well. I think it is going to take a couple... Maybe not a couple of classes, but a couple of, you know what? No, I will say a couple of good recruiting classes for Dan Mullen to really get his feet under him at Florida. And I think Florida fans need to be patient with Dan Mullen. It's not going to be an overnight success. Yes. Um, you, you can't expect uh, a Nick Fitzgerald type to just wake up and one of these quarterbacks, which I think is going to be Trask for Florida, because huh. um, Franks, I, I, I just don't think has it in him. Um, you know, I, I think it's... Trask, I don't think, has that Nick Fitzgerald quality of, okay, I'm just going to wake up and be good now. Um, now, I think Mullen can make him that way, but I think that's a later in the season sort of thing. And here's the thing about Florida this year. They don't have time to wait till the end of the season to get good. Um, you know, it, 
you've got here that a great September, awful October, November. I agree with you there, but that September has to be everything is figured out, lined up, ready to go. They just so don't play October, anybody in November, September. You, you, I'm sorry? They don't play anybody in September. They don't play anybody, but you still got to figure you've got to figure out your offense. You, yeah. What I'm saying is, you can't wander into the LSU game and still not have a quarterback picked out. I, I think the Mullen is a quarterback whisper. Here's here's how I feel about Mullen. I love what you said about them having to be patient with him because they do. I don't know. I think there's going to be a lot of Florida fans that are going to expect immediate success because Mullen was so successful at Florida. But he's what what does I said this when they hired him? What does Florida want more than anything? It's not. To they want Tim Tebow. They want Tim Tebow. They're too stuck in those days. Mullen's going to give them a Tim Tebow somewhere, not you know Heisman winner Tim Tebow, best college football player ever in that discussion. But he he, he has Nick Fitzgerald and Dak Prescott and Tim Tebow under his belt. That's his last three big starters. Um, so here we go. At the same time. Florida's off to a really, really bad recruiting start. Their decommitment list outranks their actual commitment list right now, and there's reasons for that. The only way I don't see Mullen working at Florida is the, the floor for Mullen is really high. I don't think Mullen's going to lose you know, nine games at Florida like they did last year. He's not going to go four and eight. He will get no. six wins if it kills him. Yes. But yeah, I, I mean, at, Florida, at Florida, you have to... At Mississippi State, they were fine with him taking average to good. Florida expects great to greatest. That's Florida. So if they get four years in, his recruiting is still bad, and they're still only waiting eight, winning eight games, that's when it's going to get bad. Other than that, yeah, I like the I, hire, though. I sound like I don't like the hire. I thought he was the right guy. No, I, I did, too. I did, too. And mainly the reason was recruiting, which, as you mentioned, hasn't been spectacular lately. But you look at the season this year. Their first three games are all automatic wins. They're all three in the swamp. Chuck South comes to town. Kentucky comes to town. Colorado State comes to town. Then they go to Tennessee, which is always a fun one. Um, <laughs> it's something yeah, to put that it lightly. You, you can never tell with that rivalry what's going to happen. It's like the Iron Bowl. The next week is what I think you're sort of overlooking. They've got Mississippi State going, and they're going to Starkville. I, no, I have them losing that game. It's in September. Oh, is it? Is it late? Is it a five weeks? Is it a five it, week well, September? I, I should be. I should be fair to you. Yes, it is the. Uh, tw- it is September 29th. It's so. a f- okay. It's a five week month. Sorry, I did but, have them losing that but one. But I get. I get what you're saying, and I think that's where we're going to see. Um, Returning quarterbacks, they've got Wilson and Henderson. Uh, Marco Wilson and C.J. Henderson coming back. Those defensive backs are two, probably the best duo in the SEC right now. Um, they, they've got to figure out um, sort of their, their nickelback package. Um, I think they've got a, a couple of safety issues that they've got to figure out as well. Um, and you, you don't want to be figuring those things out still when Nick Fitzgerald comes to town. And that's what I meant. You've got to get going early if you're Florida. You've yeah. got to have your game plan. You've got to have your roster and your depth chart set. Well, and the thing about that defense is, you know, despite it all, despite how bad they were with Muschamp and McWayne, the defense was always good. But last year they started to feel the ping of them not recruiting well. They have not been recruiting well, not at all under McIlwain, and okay with Muschamp. 
Now the defense, they couldn't rely on them like they could last year. They've got a couple good guys, but the, but the overall talent base is getting much worse. And Mullen's not a defensive guy. And he got, no. you know, he, they're going to be, oh, they're going to be fine. They've got C.C. Jefferson. You mentioned the corners. Um, uh, David Reese, too, at linebacker. He had 102 tackles. The rest of the team had 125. This all comes. This all comes down to what Mullen can do with the quarterback. Because Franks was so bad last year, but he's not a bad quarterback. He just was playing in the worst offense in the SEC, the most boring offense I've ever seen. Uh, they've got Trask, who's a very talented. I think he was a walk-on or a two-star that they love. And then they've got Emory Jones, who was the super recruit that Muschamp or not Muschamp Mullen was able to flip at the end of recruiting cycle from Ohio State. Here's the thing. I think Franks is stale. I think if you're Florida, Franks is stale and you want something new. I think Emory Jones is too young to throw out there in this situation, and that's why I think they're going to go with Trask. I think, like you said, he shows that heart. He's got that chip on his shoulder that I think really resonates with Dan Mullen, and he's going to try and shape and mold him into it. I, I know I keep saying it, but a Nick Fitzgerald type. And he's not, and and he's not a bad I runner. I it is because Nick Fitzgerald was exactly like that. Yeah. Remember the interview where Dan Mullen's got a cigar hanging out of his mouth and they asked him who, the, who was the other team that was recruiting and offered Nick Fitzgerald, and he said, University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. And he put his <laughs> cigar back in his mouth and didn't say anything else. Um, also, keep an eye out for uh, uh, Junior Rashad Jackson. Um, or I guess that's Rashad Jackson. Um, it played really, really well in their spring game. Had a whole bunch of tackles, and everybody was talking about him all throughout spring practices for Florida. Um, so that linebacking core, the defensive backs are great. I'm worried about Florida in the trenches right now. Um, in the trenches, and then obviously their quarterback position is where I would be most worried if I was a Florida Gator fan. Now, uh, Brick, your record prediction for the Florida Gators? I'm feeling eight and four, seven and five, depending. I've got automatic losses to Georgia and uh south carolina and i for some reason lsu i just don't like florida against lsu this year and i don't like lsu fsu and mississippi state in my mind are toss-ups so i've got them seven and four or seven and five eight and four range if they get to eight and four they need to build mullen a statue uh you know i i think it i think it'll be a huge year for florida i know i know we just said mullen's got to get a couple of recruiting classes in but if he goes eight and four, or even escapes with one, goes nine and three, maybe he even upsets Georgia. Who knows? The thing about this is, it's a, it's it's a race for the state right now too, because uh, Miami's on the rise, and yes. Florida State has their first actual new head coach hire that wasn't a head coach in waiting since like 1973. So I'm it, not. I'm selling so hard on Florida State right now. We can get into that during the national. Podcast, yeah, that'll be fun to I, talk about. I think I think it's I think it's going to go from bad to worse there. Um, I, I'm just I'm not bought in on Taggart. Uh, let's let's move on a little bit. Let's go ahead and duke it out. I, I actually don't think we're going to really fight because I'm not that passionate about this one. Because again, we're talking about the SEC East and why I get passionate about the SEC East. Um, it, Drew Locke. Let's talk about him. Let's do it. Do you think he's overrated? I think he was very good last year. Good, not very good. He was pretty good. Um, Missouri started off 1-5 and and then went on a winning streak beating nobody. Just a bunch of teams that were barely on life support. But they ended up with a winning record. Whoopee. That's nice. And it it was a nice year for them. A nice moment for Drew Locke, who 
threw 44 touchdowns and did all this stuff. He's a good quarterback. I'm not buying that he's the best one in the conference or that he's, you know, should be a top 10 draft pick. And one of the big reasons for that is I do think he takes a step back as a player because he loses Josh Heupel, who just went to USC as his offensive coordinator. And who did they replace him with? Derek Dooley. Derek Dooley. Derek Dooley. And I don't trust Derek Dooley to progress Drew Locke as a quarterback. I expect him to take a step back because I don't trust Derek Dooley to you know, microwave my pizza. So I don't trust him to do anything. I understand that. Uh, Hypo, by the way, leaving for UCF, not USC. Did I say um, USC? I meant UCF. The yeah, national. See, how can I disrespect the national champs like that? Uh, you know, I. Jesus, I think uh, I think that Locke Locke made a very weird decision in my mind. He could have gone out in the draft in a year where there were not a lot of good quarterbacks in the draft. That was the big storyline from this year's draft, right? Uh, um, I don't know. It was pretty top-heavy. But after that, it dropped off. How was it top? There were two good quarterbacks. No, there were four that everybody talked about. There was there was Rosen, there was Mayfield, there was Darnold, there was Lamar Jackson, don't, who won a Heisman. Don't, don't, don't bring up Mayfield as a good quarterback. He went number one overall. I know. I'm saying professional football, he is not going to last. But he, but how you many, can't dispute that he went number one overall. Conversation, not about Baker Mayfield, and I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying, in general, how many times do we have to have the conversation? If the guy runs around a lot and just kind of plays that backyard football style in college, he's not going to pan out in the pros. It has never worked. It has not worked once. All I'm saying is he went number one, so he is viewed as a good quarterback. I. I don't think he'll succeed with the Browns either. My point is, if you're looking for a pocket passer, it doesn't make sense, in my opinion, that Drew Locke did not go out in this draft. No, I think back. he could have gone second round or third, but that's not bad for somebody from Missouri. Jamon Moore leaving, uh, but basically Missouri returns everybody else. Most of their receivers. Um, Albert, okay... I, I can't with this last name. It's it's an African last name. I can't do it. Oquig, Oquig Bonham, I guess. Um, at tight end, he's he's very much like an OJ Howard type of tight end. Just a lot of speed, uh, very broad shoulders. Good, um, good on the end. Uh, if you're looking for a play action option near the goal line, and then Jonathan Johnson uh, has had a combined uh, almost 1,200 yards receiving. Um, out of the slot in the last two years where Drew Locke really likes passing. Now, um, their running game is going to open up a little bit as well. Uh, you've got Demaria Crockett and Larry Roundtree III. Um, those guys combining for uh, two thousand, almost 2,000 yards um, across the past two years. Uh, it really could be a dynamic duo if the offensive line can get going. Now, that's been Missouri's Achilles heel for a long, long time. The offensive line, and goodness gracious, the defense has been terrible for Missouri over the past few years. Um, so, the D-line's looking up. Missouri's looking up, in my opinion. Brick, where do you put Missouri? Uh, let me ask you this. It comes down to head, you know, head-to-head, Missouri-Florida, who are you taking? I, I go... I. 
I guess I'm biased toward because I do know Florida has the better talent, and I think they do have a pulse as a head coach now. That's why I put Florida barely ahead of them. I don't okay. know. I think Missouri could beat Florida. They did beat Florida last year. Everybody beat Florida last year. I, I guess I'm giving Florida the edge because they still have a lot of talent, and now they don't have a coach named Jim McElwain. A coach yeah. with a pulse at this point. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think really the Achilles heel that Missouri is going to come down to this season is the fact that they've got to play Alabama at Alabama. Yeah. Um, that That is not easy for any team. Uh, you get nicked up, bruised up. It's a bruise to your ego, especially if you're Drew Locke and you can't find your receivers. Um, Memphis isn't a cakewalk. You put that on the docket, and I love that you said that because Memphis was a great team last year that people forget. They took, they'll took. they be good um, next year too. They they took that team in Orlando down to the wire, basically. Yep. Um, you know, so that's that's something to think about. But I like I, I agree with what you say. Eight and four, seven and five, head to head, Missouri, Florida is a toss up. You're taking Florida. Uh, I'm going to take Missouri here. We disagree. It's okay. It's fine. We didn't fight. But we do. We didn't fight at all. It's I didn't healthy. hit the button. I didn't hit the button. No. Actually, I'm proud of us. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's go to, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's. Let's go to Tennessee. Uh, go ahead and tell me what you think of Tennessee so I can just go ahead and tee this ball up and drive it down the fairway. Well, there's never been a funnier head coaching search in the history of college football. They were our, they were, they, they, they were our um, comedy, if you will, during the offseason. It was fun to grab. But now they, they got Jeremy Pruitt, who's, I, I can kind of get behind why they would do that. I don't think Jeremy Pruitt will be amazing as a head coach because he doesn't get along with people, and I've known that since he was at FSU. Um, but he's, you know, infinitely better than Butch Jones. So here's how I feel about Tennessee. They don't have much this year. They don't. Everything is just kind of, oh, uh, offense, Garantano, there have been worse quarterbacks. He's, he made the best of the worst Tennessee team that's ever existed. Um, I like that one receiver. Outside of that, everyone's... I think the defense will be better because Jeremy Pruitt's such a great defensive coordinator. But I think, at best, everything is only slightly better. I can't look at their schedule and go, they have a winning record. 6-6 six and six no. is my absolute best but I think five and seven, and that's with I think, losses to pretty much everyone in the conference except Kentucky, Vanderbilt. I don't remember if they play Arkansas, but they didn't win a single SEC game last year. So to give them two, possibly three, that's the best I can give them. I'm going to go four and eight or five and seven for Tennessee. I, I just I I can't imagine that Pruitt, a guy who's never been a head coach, can come in and really make that much of a difference. Um, not in the first year, not when the line is so terrible. Kirby Smart um, didn't do it. No. And now I'm going to, I'm going to ask you an interesting question after I get through their schedule and I want you to answer it honestly, but let's go through their schedule. West Virginia to open up the season. I, Big I loss. expect Will Greer to pick them apart. Big loss. Uh, East Tennessee state and UTEP. They'll win those. Uh, they get Florida at home. But I, I think that could be, if Mullins figured it out by that point, I think that's going to be really ugly for Tennessee. 
Georgia is going to absolutely boat race them. Listen to this. They go Georgia, Auburn, then Alabama, back to back to back. Oh, boy. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome to head coaching, Jeremy Pruitt. Now, they, they do get a bye week before Auburn. Um, it, Auburn will crush them. Don't forget, that game is in Jordan-Hare as well. Auburn uh, will crush them. Then they've got, they go to South Carolina, get Charlotte at home, Kentucky at home. Those could be wins. Missouri, that's a loss, and I don't see them beating Vanderbilt. So you don't see them beating Vanderbilt. That's why you won't. That's why you have them at four. I have them beating Vanderbilt. That's why I've got them at five and seven. But we basically I agree. I am not 100% convinced that they will beat Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and one of UTEP or East Tennessee State. I think we kind of agree, though, because literally they had nowhere to go but up last year. They lost right. every conference game. Yeah. All of them. Yes. Yeah. Um, getting getting Kentucky at home is big for them this year. And I, I, I think That's it's so sad, sad to say about a team like Tennessee. Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. I, it's just what a dumpster fire. Anyway. God, I hate them so much. All right. Kentucky. Uh Yes, Stoops and Snell. You've got four and eight on the docket. I like that. Is there anything else we need to say about Kentucky? I like Stoops as a coach. I like Snell as a player. But I no, not really. They'll be toward the bottom of the division. I cannot wait for Vanderbilt to have another Vanderbilt season where it is just such trash. Like, maybe it's good the first few weeks. They play Van or they play excuse me, Vanderbilt. They play Notre Dame third week of the season. That'll be nice. We then get a little experience for their players. They play South Carolina, get Tennessee State. Then they play Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, Arkansas, Missouri, Ole Miss. And then they'll come back and beat Tennessee because it'll be hilarious like it always is. Um, you know, you've got four and eight. I like that. I don't see them beating uh, Notre Dame, South Carolina, Georgia, obviously, Florida, uh, Kentucky, that is going to be an absolute rock fight that will be a hilarious noon o'clock game on the SEC network. I cannot <laughs> wait to watch that. Uh, Arkansas, I think, is going to sneak up on people. I want to get to Arkansas bad next week. <laughs> um, Missouri, we've talked about. Um, and then Ole Miss is another rock fight. At least they get them at home. But honestly, it's just going to be fun to watch. I like Kyle uh, so, Shermer. He's a nice quarterback at Vanderbilt. Sure. And he had Eric some nice throws against Bama. Magical sheet of paper. Can I tell that story again? I tell this every year. Please yeah. let me tell this story. You go know ahead. which one I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, go ahead. Tell the story. I know the story. Derek Mason, <laughs> apparently when he was in college, uh, wrote <laughs> did, the, did the mic every... pick up Duncan coughing right there? Uh, it's fine. It's fine. Skyler's passed out, I think. I don't know. I actually can't even see her. Uh, but I think or I know when Derek Mason was in college um, at Stanford, I want to say, um, he wrote on a sheet of paper all of these game day situations and how what plays he would run and how he would execute them. And for a long time, he just he lost the sheet of paper. It was in a notebook. He never found it. Back in like 2015 or 16, <laughs> SB Nation put out this article Hold on, Vanderbilt's about to win the SEC and maybe go to the playoff. Derek Mason has found his magical sheet of paper. <laughs> and it's this picture of him holding up this sheet of paper where it looks like he just took crayons, like he's like a fourth grader drawing plays. And it's just that the whole way down the sheet. And he explained the story of his magical sheet of paper. And I love that so much. Uh, that embodies 
Vanderbilt University football like nothing else I've ever heard in my life. I, I like Derek Mason a lot. There's a there's a he's certain a great motivator. I think he's a great players coach, but it's Vanderbilt. You're never going to get anywhere. There is a certain artistry and poeticness to Vanderbilt football, isn't there? Uh, yeah, almost as good as their basketball team when they get one South African or Australian every three or four years who can, you know, just bang down low and then for no reason at all hits the occasional corner three. And then they um, beat Alabama on the road. Yeah, and then they go to Omaha every year at baseball, and then it's time to recycle and beat Tennessee in the fall again. Make it to the Music City Bowl if you're lucky. Um, but no, I don't see that for Vanderbilt this year. Sorry, everyone in my hometown in Nashville. Four and eight. I'm going to go four and eight. Five and seven. I'm, I'm going to go five and seven. Oh, you're so sweet. Seven. You know, I, I think that'll be good for the hometown. Next week, that's it for the SEC East, right? There's nothing else you wanted to talk about? Nope, we're done. Okay, that's it. Uh, year four, episode two in the books. Uh, next week, we're going uh, for an Alabama camp update uh, to start off. We'll, we'll make it really quick, I promise. And then we'll get into the rest of the SEC West preview. We'll probably make Alabama's preview pretty short since we are we did a whole episode on it you know, two weeks ago, and we're doing weekly camp updates. So please listen. And then don't forget, in two SEC. weeks, we're doing the Bama-specific preview. Yes, uh, and we'll do that national preview as well. Um, so that's it. Uh, you got the SEC West preview. I think Brick and I are going to talk a little bit about where LSU, Arkansas kind of fall. Is Ole Miss coming back on the rise? But Texas A&M's got Jimbo. Lots to talk about next week. You're not going to want to miss it. Until then, we are on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at PI underscore podcast. On Facebook at PAT apostrophe S interference. On our website at patsinterference.com. Or send us an email at patsinterference at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Yamama's House, on the record player, vinyl, 8-track, silent films, drive-in theaters, anywhere you think you might want to hear Pat's Interference, we're probably there. Uh, we got a new design. You're obviously hearing uh, the new intro and outro, uh, the new soundboard, uh, which we, we both really like. We've, been, we've wanted a soundboard for so long. So, so long. We, we really deserve that. I do like that. <laughs> we should not have this technology. It's going to get so dangerous. It's going to get worse season, as but... the season goes on. <laughs> That's it for us. Uh, you can tell that we're a little delusional. It's one twenty-six my time, twelve twenty-six your time. Brick, I appreciate you and all that you do for the podcast. For those of you who don't know, Brick and I have wanted to do this for a long time, and now we have been doing it for a long time. It's hashtag senior year. Uh, if you tag pat's interference in anything on social media please mention hashtag senior year um we haven't decided if we're going to declare for the draft or not you know we're just kind of enjoying our fourth year just getting our reps in making sure that we're teaching the young guys how to take over you know our interns have got to learn sometime might as well be our senior year uh but no in all seriousness we thank you so much for listening couldn't do this without you be looking for that sec west preview sometime next week and brick most importantly roll tide roll tide